podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome. I'm Les Bubka and you're listening to Accidental Podcast or something like that. I hope you are well. And in this episode, I'll be talking with Christian O'Brien from Mu Do Kwan Taekwondo, mixed with karate, uh, which is an interesting concept. Christian is going to take us through the details of how that come to life and what exactly it is. Um, Christian is a late starter into martial arts. I thought I'm a late starter, but um, comes up he started much later than I did. Um, we're going to talk about competition, uh, about benefits, downfalls. We're going to talk about uh, disability training and teaching people with special needs and um, how it is to train with your children uh, and how it is to find time for teaching due to a work commitments. I hope you're going to enjoy this episode and if you do, please feel free to share through the social media and in that way we can grow and much appreciated all your help, much appreciated your time to listen to that podcast and I wish you all the best. And let's go and listen to Christian. Uh, hello, Christian. Uh, thank you for joining me for that uh, conversation. Uh, we met online, I suppose, year or more than that um in a conversation popping up and here and there and yeah, more uh, or less over the last year absolutely yeah you, you you always got some interesting points to to point point out point points out okay that's that's my grammar my english grammar for you guys um it's uh nice to see you uh kind of live although not in person but live um yeah. thank you for your time and how are you today I'm I'm doing great. I the day hasn't been long enough yet for anything bad to happen. So awesome. it's a great start. It's a great <laughs> start. Could you give us a brief introduction into your martial arts, your life, and what you do? So by trade, I am a stagehand. And the easiest way to explain that is like I'm a roadie that never goes anywhere. So I do stage productions at one place in particular, and there are shows from, you know, like little uh, uh, preschool graduations up through the last big show I did before COVID hit was Blue Man Group. Mm -hmm. So big, big range of shows. So the last year has been really interesting for everybody, but it's been interesting for the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. uh, for martial arts, I feel like I'm very different from a lot of the other people um, that kind of run around in this community in that I didn't start until I was almost 40. Uh, it was my sons that really pushed being in karate. And it started with my oldest son, wanted to do it. We found a, a nice dojo. It took a lot of convincing before we would do it. We were like typical parents. No, you're, you're going to be violent. You're going to be a bully, so on and so forth. And then we walked in this dojo and went, yeah, that's that's the place he needs to go. That's the exact opposite of what we thought it was going to be. And then my youngest son joined a few months after that. And then for the next six months, it was, when are you getting on the mat, dad? When are you getting on the mat, dad? When are you getting on the mat, dad? <laughs> so I finally caved. And then uh, my oldest son and I got, got our show done a few years later on his 17th birthday. So you know, th those are memories that, that nobody will ever be able to take away from me. Arguably the hardest test I've ever had and uh, in anything in life. And uh, it was probably one of the coolest birthdays he ever had. Awesome. So are you actively teaching or are you just a student? Uh, I actively teach a lot. Um, I am, I, I don't want to say, I, I'm just there, the, the instructor that teaches a lot. The style we mm -hmm. do is my teacher was trained in Mudokwan Taekwondo while he was in Korea in the 60s. Mm -hmm. And so he brought that back. When he came back, there was no Mudokwan schools in the U.S., uh, really. There was one in town, but uh, 
he did not enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So he ended up uh, connecting with another instructor that did a lot of Gojiru and uh, Shuriru. So, so it's kind of hard for me to say what I know because any Taekwondo guy comes in and goes, mm-hmm. that's not Taekwondo. And any karate <laughs> guy that comes in, comes in and goes, that's not, you know, karate. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we teach a little bit of everything. Uh, and, uh, so I teach a lot and then I have to, I have to do a lot of studying on my own, which is how I found the practical karate community. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was pretty, pretty amazing. I ain't going to lie. Uh, really kind of opened my eyes up and just, especially not having, uh, the dogma ingrained in me of this is how it should be, you know, since I was nine years old kind of thing. Um, I was always open-minded from the get-go. So when I started researching these katas and found all this practical stuff, I was like, man, that's, that's cool. That's, we're going to, we're going to start studying that. And I started going to every seminar I could find. Mm. So it was amazing. Good stuff. Awesome. So that's kind of interesting mix because I suppose you've got the best of both worlds. So you can kick Taekwondo away, nice and flexible. And then you've got the, the practical stuff from the karate. Yes. Yes. The day I finally kicked my son in the head at six foot two, he's six foot two. I'm not. Mm. Uh, Everybody in the dojo heard it. It was, it was a great day. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. I, I kind of, um, gonna jump into back to talk about your work a little bit, because as a youngster, I done joined my, my friends used to work with the, uh, outdoor concerts so they've been setting up stages and stuff like that mm-hmm. and I because I was always small I tried tried that and that was one of my biggest embarrassments because they uh, I think as a prank they told me you know get the trolley the kind of two-wheel trolley to pick up I can't, know, I can't remember how you call them in English and get that big speaker from there to the lorry and I was just hanging on the handles of that trolley <laughs> and just no way I'm gonna move it I've never so uh, one of my most embarrassing moments, and they all take Mickey out of me. But at the <laughs> time, I didn't realize that it was a joke, so I never turned up for another day in it. <laughs> so I can imagine how difficult it can be that job, and especially Space. now, now with COVID, it must have been a huge impact, isn't it? Or, or instead, you are not so much locked down. Uh, I have friends in the industry that haven't worked in over a year. And they really want to get back to doing stagecraft, but there's just nothing to do mm-hmm. uh, uh, or very, very little. And so it's, it has been difficult. I've been fortunate in that my theater is attached to a university. Mm-hmm. So we became a classroom basically for the last year so that everyone could spread out and whatnot. And then this last semester, we did try to do a couple of shows while still trying to do these classes. And it was, it was difficult. It definitely presented some interesting challenges. Um, but yeah, I've, I've got tons of friends that are just anxious to get back to work or have gone and found something new to do and don't mm-hmm. plan on ever coming back. So the, the entertainment industry is going to be, it's going to be interesting come next fall when, when shows start to start to roll out again. So how do you managing? Because for me, always when I was working, the priority was the martial arts. So I always avoided the jobs that uh, involve shifts. And I'm presuming that being in the show industry, you are working a lot of nights. Yes. Yeah. How do you uh, manage to fit that within your training? So a lot of times it's just I, I just have to have a calendar going a lot. Mm-hmm. Um as I do teach a lot, there's a whiteboard in the, in the dressing room that basically has all the nights that I can't teach. So mm-hmm. everybody knows when I'm not going to be there and okay, somebody else has to warm up class before sensei can get on the mat or, or somebody else has to come in and teach that night. Um, when it comes time for, for me to work out, the best part is I sit there and go, this is the only night I'm going to be in the dojo for the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to bust it as hard as I can or try and pick up as much as I can mm-hmm. um, because it's got to it's got to hold me over for a while, um, which is kind of nice because some days you just don't want to work out. You know, the hardest part about working out yeah, is yeah. walking in through the door. And uh, if I know that's the only night I'm going to walk through the door for a while, I'm, I'm definitely going to push it that night. So I, I'm going I'm to guess that you at your work, you're the weirdo guy 
who goes and does silly moves on every break or passing stuff, hitting stuff with your back fist and stuff like that. Am, am I right? No, well, not where everyone can see. No, not where everyone can see because I'm, I'm the. But boss. you are that guy. I am that guy. It'll just be down in my office, or it'll be you know in the back hallway. People just don't see it, you know, kind of thing. Because, um, but but most of the people know what I do. Um, mm-hmm. I had one guy one time put me in. A, he was just goofing off. Came up behind me, put me in a huge bear hug, and and I just reflexively picked up my elbow. And I stopped myself and his, his brother looked at him and goes, you remember what Christian does for fun, right? (laughs) (laughs) He didn't put me in a bear hug again. (laughs) I remember because I used to work, uh, uh, when I moved to UK, I work with um, putting big marquees, the tents for, for weddings and stuff like that. And that's kind of the work that's in the summer, you know, it's from morning to late. At the time, I didn't have a club. I was training in a club, so it was easier to not turning up. But yeah, it was just like, yeah, that's the weird guy goes and kicks shit around and does weird moves when nobody looks. Well, at least when he thinks that nobody looks. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, that's the kind of uh, addiction to martial arts that you have to do it in uh, strange places, isn't it? Oh, yeah. People walk by and if I'm in the back hallway or down by my office and I'm running the hanchi or something, they're just kind of... They'll look, and somebody else will eventually go, no, no, he's just doing his karate stuff. Don't worry about yeah, him. Yeah. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be interesting for me because I always ask people about mental health and martial arts, but I'm going to – you started a bit, bit late, so you are kind of established in your, in your mind. But interesting question will be to see what differences did you see in your children and as well yourself. Was that the po- po- uh, positive impact, no impact at all, or how did that go? What did you notice? I would say a positive impact. Um, I've always needed something as a, as a stress reliever. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up, it was, yeah, I did road, road biking through high school. College, it was rock climbing. After college, it was mountain biking. And then when I moved, moved to Indiana, which is where I live now, um, and we got our sons involved in karate, then it, then it was karate. And when I jump into something, I jump in, it's not a, mm-hmm. we're going to go once in a while kind of thing. We were, we were there every night that I could be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, no, I, I would say it was a positive, positive influence. My boys have always had a pretty laid back attitude, but it did give them, it did give them a voice. I, you know, confidence. I don't, I don't know how much it really built up with confidence, but it did give them a voice. All of a sudden they were kind of like, I, you know, I can, it is a confidence, but uh, they were just, they were able to find their voice and use it a little bit better. Mm. Um, for me, it, no, it's a stress reliever. This, this job can be incredibly stressful. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are times when I, I go to the dojo and uh, just a couple nights ago, um, I started hitting the heavy bag for a little bit before class. And one of the parents looked at me and just goes, you're an angry little elf, aren't you? <laughs> and it's, it's, it was a rough day. I just needed a minute, you know, before kids class started, they didn't need the angry elf teaching, you know, kind of, kind of thing. So no, it was very positive, very, very positive. But I also attribute that to the school we went to. The school had a very positive family oriented vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I imagine there are just as many schools out there that are the exact opposite, where they're, you know, just militaristic and just, you know, win at all costs. And that's definitely not the vibe at our school kind of mm. thing. So very positive. Great to hear. And that brings us to the topic which we actually hooked up on, the competition. You said, uh, you know, uh, winning at all costs. So what's your opinion on the, on the, on the competition? Because I finding... Uh, some voices in the community of self-protection that, you know, oh, it's useless, uh, you shouldn't compete because you're doing bad habits and stuff like that. Personally, I think there's lots of good values to be learned from competition, plus the, the mechanics of the stress are very similar to uh, being attacked. Uh, with all the adrenaline dump and, and, and stuff like that. What's your view on that? Should we compete or not? 
That is, yeah, and that is a loaded question, isn't it? That's all over the place. So, so uh, I think you're going to be able to find in competition things to justify both ends of the argument. Um, and that's hard because when I say competition, people have different things in their mind. It might be WKF. It might be no-touch light sparring. It might be, you know, this weird continuous sparring and whatnot. And, uh, you know, so I'm going to describe the competition that, that I do, that we do as an organization. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the competition we do is point sparring. Uh, and it's, it's supposed to be light contact, air quotes. Um, and it generally is. But I remember, I, I remember one fight where I got nailed hard in the ribs, in the floating rib, and it buckled me. And my sensei came over and just goes, hey, remember, there's no such thing as excessive contact to the body. Yes, sir. <laughs> you let him know you're not his punching bag. Yes, sir. Um, so that's the kind of competition we did. It's definitely a throwback to what it was like back in the 70s. Um, but uh, a lot of things that we do, uh, like the groin is a legitimate scoring region, and so's the mm-hmm. face, even for children. Now, the children are wearing face shields, and you're not allowed to rock the head. So we try to keep it as, as safe as possible. But uh, the argument when this organization was founded was, doesn't matter where you go, doesn't matter what age group you've got, doesn't matter who the judge is in the middle, the kids still punch each other in the face. So why not make it a legitimate scoring zone and teach them how to do it with light contact from the get go Mm -hmm. so that, okay, that's, that's how I want to score. Cause then when we go to some of these other groups to the bad habits part, uh, there's no face contact. You see everybody's hands drop. And when they go to stand across from somebody, their head is just wide open. They don't bother to try and protect it. Same if I know the feeling because my years in uh, knockdown karate, it's, uh, yeah, hands here. And then as my friend describes it, you're like a tourist looking from behind the bush. So just your head pop out and people punch you in it. Um, <laughs> so it took me a long time to get rid of that, that habit. But uh, sorry, carry on. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. Uh, it's same with the groin. I mean, let's be honest. In the practical world, that's a key target right there. Mm. And so if we don't let it be a legitimate scoring zone, you're never going to have it in your mind of, I need to protect this piece of my body mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so, so to me, I mean, in our, in our version, I do feel like there are some practical aspects that hopefully it helps reinforce. Now, yes, light contact in the real world, you know, I'm not going to want to hit light. You know, if I get into this position, I, I want to get in, I want to get out. I, whatever it takes to get away as fast as possible. I'm not going to just touch you in the nose and have you go, Oh, you got me, you know, and walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of those aspects that definitely, I, I understand why people go, it creates a bad habit, but at the same time, I think there's some good habits that can be created mm-hmm. um, and such, you know, I, I think just the, the, the competition is such a great thing for a, not so much physical, although physical depends on you. From from my years in knockdown, you know, physical it was teaching me how much my body can take, being continuously punched, and you, especially when you've been losing, and there's nobody to save you because the judge is only looking if you're gonna drop down or there's anything illegal. But if it's within the frame, that person is not gonna stop. They're gonna be continuously beating you to a pulp. Uh, so that's kind of overcoming that helplessness, mm-hmm. uh, you know, try to figure out the way. And as well, the mental aspect of, you know, just stepping on that stage. You don't know what the person's going to do. You don't know if he's a maniac who wants to take your head off. Mm-hmm. He's going to get too excited and that even by accident, you know, he's going to be uh, disqualified for over excessive contact, but you're still going to have a broken nose. So that 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 kind of um, fear factor, I think it's very beneficial to just you know go in and see what you're capable of and what you can overcome. I did. Uh, I was I was a center referee for a tournament not too long ago, and uh, so I was I was in charge of the adult division novice. So about 
sixth cue to 10th cue kind of thing. And uh, I mean, you could just tell everybody was nervous. And finally, when it was all done before I announced the winners and, and whatnot, I just said, all right, guys, I have a question for everybody. Whose first tournament was this? You know, and a few people raised their hand. Okay, put your hand down. How many people were nervous going in? And everybody raised their hand thinking they were going to be the only one raising their hand until they looked around and saw everybody's hand was up. And then they all started laughing because, yeah, they all had to learn how to overcome that fear or at least control it enough to step in the ring because I don't know what this guy can do. Mm. And then the part that I really like is it lets you know what you're capable of. What, what can you do? Because let's be honest, you get in there. Fear starts to kind of cloud your judgment. You get tunnel vision. You instantly go to what you, you're most comfortable with. What, yeah. What's just, uh, for lack of a better term, muscle memory. And you mm-hmm. go, oh, that's, that's my thing. Okay, I need to either develop a new thing, something else, or uh, how do I tweak it? Because I, you know, I won, great. How do I build off of that? Or I lost. Okay, what do I need to improve so that next time I'm a little harder to, to, uh, to beat or yeah, so that I win? De- definitely. Um, so how often um, in your cl- club are um, you sending uh, people for competition? Our, our group has, in a good year, on a, on a real year, um, because our sensei started this particular little uh, tournament circuit, um, has eight tournaments in a year. And then uh, there's a handful that we'll go to outside of, of our organization and go to a few other organizations. We've got some, some students that love going to tournaments as often as they possibly can. Uh, but generally, it's the eight that we try to, try to support as much as possible. And it's, it's different dojos that are within our organization. Each one hosts it, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so we all just try and go and support each other and great camaraderie. That's something I think people don't, you know, realize what yeah. happens. You know, you, you start meeting other people. You, you might be the only 45 year old dad in your dojo, but then you go to these competitions and there's three or four other ones, you know, and all of a sudden you're, you know, you've got these, you're, you're not hanging out with all the 15 year olds anymore. You know, mm-hmm. you actually have a couple other people that are close to your age, close to your rank. Um, and that, you know, those relationships really stick with you even outside the dojo. I think that's, that's definitely a big thing as well. Definitely. So is your dojo, uh, you would say, um, hot percentages focus on the, on the sporting arena? Is it the sport focus and you running kind of a, uh, the coaching process within the periodization? So you've got the cycles of preparation for, access, uh, for um, tournament break, again and again and again or is it just kind of a byproduct of of having a a dojo i would say it's definitely tournament focused especially for the children like we've got we've got kids as young as four years old that that come and compete and uh they love it you know because they get to go and and play and beat up on other four-year-olds kind of thing not beat up but you know they go and play and uh and have such a good time because you know let's be honest if if they're not having a good time they're not going to come back when you're when you're that young and if they're not in the dojo how can you teach them anything whether it's courtesy and respect um a technique you know mental attitude you know if they're not in the school you you can't teach them any of that so Mm. as long as they're having a good time you know hey we can keep these things going and so for kids class definitely uh, it's definitely a bit more on the, the tournament based for the adult class. It is, it definitely has a, a tournament focus, but there are days when, no, we're going to do a little bit of self-defense today. Let's talk a bit more about, um, how Kata can relate to what's going on with what we're doing. Um, and then maybe even, you know, some straight up practical uh, practical things in, in many ways, we're very much a three K school. I'm, I'm not mm. going to lie. And, uh, but I love the atmosphere. I love the environment. I love the people. And so, uh, over the last three years, we have started to incorporate a little bit more practical karate type stuff in with, okay, let's, let's look at this kata. Let's look at these principles. How can we apply that to what we do at the tournaments? 
you know, mm. taking angles, uh, uh, you know, getting offline, uh, things of that nature, all of these things. In, and to be honest, I think uh, I love Kata because of, of all of this practical, you know, how do, how do we put this all together, you know, the, the mm. principles and whatnot. And so, uh, and so I think I've got a couple of the students now starting to really understand, hey, okay, let's, let's see how we can take these principles and apply it to what we're doing when we're, when we're at the tournament. I, I like that you're not apologetic that uh, in a way you are free K. I think that's one of the, of the problems uh, which is now created unnecessarily, you know, that, that, that some people in the practical community um, kind of, in a way, disrespect, I would say, the free K karate and, you know, it's all bad and stuff like that. I think... If you are um, honest of what you what you teach and you're honest with yourself what you want to do, yeah, free K is perfectly fine. You know, it's many faces to the karate, and you can do. But you know, if, if you communicate that across, you know, we we focus on sport, we run within these rules, and that's what we're gonna do. That's what we enjoy. And if you're enjoying it, what's wrong with it? Nothing's wrong with it. So not everybody have to be a practical guy. And I think there is a lot of people who enjoy both worlds and they're going to be doing like yourself, doing a competition and being a sport 3K, but having that build up with the knowledge of um, practical karate. And that's, and that's hopefully my goal is actually one day to go, okay, you know what, let's, let's add a, let's add a practical karate class. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do, if you want to focus on the sport part, the tournament part, and then, you know, how that would relate to, how you would fight that way, fine. Um, but then let's, okay, let's do a bunk guy, a, a deep bunk guy dive where, okay, we're just going to focus on the Hanchi for the next year, you mm -hmm. know, kind of thing and turn it into a practical class with regard to just that kata. Um, that would be my ultimate goal. But to be honest, given my job <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and whatnot, it's hard for me to say, okay, every Saturday morning, let's do this. Well, that's only when I have a free Saturday morning. And when I finally do have a free Saturday morning, do I really want to spend day number seven at the dojo, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Um, that, that is a hard, that is a hard thing to kind of, kind of overcome that the, the joke was, uh, I'm either at work, I'm at the dojo or I'm on my way home kind <laughs> of thing. Uh, so I'm just going to tell my wife it's one, two or three, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, so got to set up some boundaries otherwise you just get overwhelmed and no i need i need to make sure i'm home at least one night a week and have dinner with the family while it's still hot as opposed to you know an hour after they've already eaten kind of thing so st starting the martial arts in the kind of advanced age i thought i started late being 17 um <laughs> what what um what obstacles did you found what what had you overcome Oh my gosh. Flexibility. Um, I, I was pretty flexible when I was rock climbing, mm -hmm. but that I, I kind of veered off of that in about my mid to late twenties. Uh, so flexibility was a huge issue, especially when you're talking about a school that likes to kick yeah. and, uh, and kicking to the head kind of thing. And it's not in our, in our, in our group, it's one point for everything. There's no extra points if you kick or spin or, or anything like that. It's one point for everything. If it's a back fist to the head, one point. If it's a beautiful spinning hook kick, one point to the head. But it's got to be beautiful. No blind techniques, mm -hmm. um, nothing like that. So uh, flexibility was a huge issue for me. It took a long time before I could get my foot up high enough. At least it felt like a long time. And most of, most of the adults that have started with us, you know, same issue. Um, of course, stamina, you know, you're sitting here going, I, I just got done working 10 hours and now I'm going to go get on the, on the map for an hour and a half. I was exhausted before I walked in the door, you know, kind of thing. And okay, I'm in my happy place. Have a, have a little bit of sugar. Let's, let's get going. So, uh, stamina and cardio was, was a big thing. Um, and then just not trying to overthink uh, you know, just, just go, you know, you sit there and you start trying to overthink what's happening. And then next thing you know, kid punches you in the head, <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of thing. And you're like, no, okay. I got, I stop overthinking, stop overanalyzing everything. Let's just go with it. Let's, let's feel it. That's what makes it the art mm. in my, in my opinion. 
So yeah, that was, that was definitely the hardest thing. Flexibility, getting that foot up. Wow. I can't do it either uh, anymore. I never could. My hips are so locked that, uh, there's no, you know, tension on the muscles I can do within the range, touching the floor and everything. But, uh, the hips say, no, you're not going to kick to the head. So I need to adapt and do other things. Um, but the Taekwondo is renowned for the, for the flexibility. So, um, how different is the, I might not pronounce it properly, Mukwando, you said, or? Mudukwan. Mudukwai, mm-hmm. uh, from the regular Taekwondo. So if you think Japanese uh, karate history is confusing, mm-hmm. forget it. Korean is, <laughs> is even worse. So uh, about the 1960s, all of the different Kwans kind of came together. The government wanted to make a, a, a unified sport. And so all of these schools coming together um, is how the Taekwondo Association was originally founded. And then, of course, depending on who you talk to, depending on what you read, there was just a lot of bickering. People left the organization and then that offshoot created the ITF. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had another, OK, I'm going to leave because I wanted to be president and I'm not and I didn't get to be president. So I'm going to now do, you know, the Mudokwan Subak Do. So Mudokwan was one organization of, of the original five Kwans, mm-hmm. uh, the original five schools um, that was a part, of, a part of this. And I'm not as up on my Korean Taekwondo history as I should be, so I couldn't tell you the other nine names or the other eight names. Uh, so Mudokwan was just one of these organizations that came together kind of thing. And, uh, but it's, it's based on... Uh, the teachings of Gichin Funakashi. So there's a lot of Shotokan in it. We do, you know, the Pinan Hian series, uh, Nahanchi, Basai. Um, uh, there's a bunch of other katas in there, slightly different names, Chinto and, and such. So there's a lot of Shotokan influence. There is a bit of Kung Fu influence because the original founder um, was learning the martial arts as he was working on the railroad going through northern uh, China. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the history of of the school. And then, of course, when you had all of these schools come together, then you had all these influences all over the place. And, of course, this is all post-World War II. So this was after the Japanese had occupied Korea. So, you know, you had a lot of people that had picked up on the different martial arts from when the Japanese were there in Korea and then they just, okay, how do we make this our own and, and mm-hmm. incorporate some of the original arts that were in Korea from long before. Um, uh, there was a form of wrestling called Tachyon and another uh, foot competition called Subak. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, which, which from what I've read, looks more like the, the Subak looks more like what Olympic Taekwondo is now. Mm-hmm kind of thing and if you come to our school it does it is not olympic taekwondo it is it is very very different it's it's more like karate with a lot more kicking is pretty Mm -hmm. much how it is we still throw our hands a lot but taekwondo i think because it went so early into olympics uh, it is at least in europe it is the most popular martial art it's have a huge success. The, always the Taekwondo schools are full mm-hmm. and karate schools are ah, so-so. Uh, is that the same for the States? Yes. And I think part of that has to do with um, when people came here, you know, after, after the Korean conflict or when people emigrated here from Korea, you know, you just had a lot of good business people that opened up schools kind of mm. thing. And so, yeah, Taekwondo exploded in the 70s and 80s in the United States. Um, Karate kind of a little bit after. Uh, To Mm -hmm. be fair, the sign on the side of our school says karate. You don't even necessarily know that it's a tight that we have a Taekwondo background until you walk in the door and then start talking to somebody kind of thing. So and to be fair, a lot of what we do is is also karate. not to not to name drop, but uh, so I work here at Ball State University, which is in central Indiana. Mm-hmm. Bill Wallace grew up here, Superfoot Bill Wallace. And so mm-hmm. he and my sensei, they're of the same age. They worked out together for years. And so we still do a lot of the warm up drills and kicking drills that Bill Wallace 
kind of developed then and still does to this day mm-hmm. kind of thing. So it's kind of fun to have, have that, have that history, but uh, that was a big tangent from where I started. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, all good. it's all interesting. Um, so how the karate guys look at your, your dojo? Because I presume you're mixing with the, both the Kwondo and karate guys. Because um, I, my my uh, my teacher's style was always more throws, takedowns, and stuff like that. So when I was going somewhere and train with somebody, it was always well, that's not karate. That's more like a self-defense combat thingy, and you're trying to all the time explain, no, that's just a different version of karate. It's all in there. You just never been taught. Uh, so how that goes for you guys uh, going in when you're a mixture of. Uh, the taekwondo and karate it it it's always kind of interesting when we go to the tournaments and uh, a lot of the schools that we compete with here locally um are gojiru and so so it is kind of interesting because they throw a lot more hands than they do feet at the tournaments but they still kick for them competing with us sometimes is a little frustrating because you got to get past my sidekick before you can get in and start throwing hands so okay Mm -hmm. how are you going to deal with that um, or, or whatever, I'm going to make you think I'm going to throw a sidekick. What, you know, let's play, let's play the game. So when it comes to competing for, for Kumite, it, it's always interesting because they almost want to sit back and wait to see what we throw. And then how <laughs> can I counter that? And then you covered the distance for me. Then I'm going to counter with, you know, with back fist, reverse mm-hmm. punch, whatever. Um, when it comes to Kata, when we compete in kata, the, the goju katas and a lot more of the uh, Japanese katas and Okinawan katas tend to do better than the katas we do, which is, which is ironic given that more often than not, we're competing with the pinon katas or basai and you're sitting there going, but those all had a Japanese history. You know, obviously when, when you look at the history of Shotokan and, and even before that with Itosu and, and uh, so it's really kind of interesting that the goju katas always seem to kick our butts, which is fine. You know, hey, it just means we got to get better. Uh, but when it comes to kumite, yeah, they have to learn how to deal with our feet, which is, which is kind of a nice, kind of gives you a little bit of a boost in the beginning. But then, but then they start to learn, they always start with a kick. You know, <laughs> so, okay, how do, how do I play that off? You know, kind of, kind of thing. Um, but, but it's good, you know. To me, that's part of what this competition is. is it, just like any other sport, I got to learn to deal with failure. So how do I deal with that? And you've got coaches and schools that deal with it in a very positive way. You know, you're either winning or you're learning. Mm-hmm. And you've got, you know, other places where it's, you know, you need to win at all costs. Um, or you get that kid that always has been winning. And when they finally lose, just throws a temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. And it's no, you, you got to learn, you got to learn how to lose, right? You got to learn how to, how to, uh, take this failure. Okay. What do I learn from it? Um, I took my son and one of his best friends to a grappling tournament last weekend. And, uh, I don't grapple, uh, my son and his friends have been doing it for about two, three years now. And, uh, and this was Ben's, um, my son's friend, it was his first tournament ever and in anything. And so he, he, he's just asking us all these questions, all these questions, what, what to expect, what are the people going to be like, you know, in, in his only frame of reference to be fair is the school mm. at the dojo. What that's it. I, I roll with these people that are better than me. I'm already going to lose. I went Ben, just relax. You're going to be paired up with somebody close to your weight. You're going to be paired up with someone close to your age and somebody close to your rank you're going to surprise yourself at how much you really know because all of a sudden you're rolling with somebody new. And uh, he goes, okay. And afterwards I asked him, I said, Ben, how do you think you did? And he lost his first match, but he rolled for almost four minutes mm-hmm. and, uh, and he got out of some nasty, some nasty scenarios. And he goes, actually, yeah, I, I realized I knew more than I thought. And now I know what I need to work on because I made one mistake and all of a sudden this guy had my back and I had to deal with this guy on my back for the next three and a half minutes. 
I said, that's, that's exactly right. Now you know what to go back and work on. How do I, you know, without, without that competition, you never would have known that because you're always rolling with people that are better than you. So was it the, the competition was more a BJJ style or wrestling? This particular one was BJJ. It was more BJJ style. It was actually, uh, uh, it was grappling in the morning, gi and no gi. And then it was karate in the afternoon. So then I had a, there were a ton of my students that then showed up um, to do kata, weapons kata and kumite afterwards kind of thing. It was, it was a huge turnout. It benefited a local cancer society. It was, it was one of the biggest tournaments I have ever been to. It was, it was absolutely just amazing. Awesome. Um, yeah, it, it really was. And then the best part is just to sit there and go, I had fun. I learned something. And, you know, a whole bunch of money was raised for a local cancer society. Yeah. How can you argue with that? You know, yeah. that's, that's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm always, um, envy of, uh, your education system with the, uh, with the use of wrestling as a, one of the subjects mm -hmm. in Europe. It's not, not like that. It's just, uh, frustrating. Wrestling is so good for, uh, for development of the body and, uh, sporting aspect is that i think it should be everywhere but um i know in europe is not it's kind of uh going quickly out of fashion absolutely and let's be honest american wrestling like that you know it teaches you balance you know it's fast it's quick you know kind of thing after a couple of years you you can hold your own on a lot of things mm. you know if you can get past the punch you can get past the get past the kick and i grab your legs down you go kind of thing uh yeah and and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful art i ain't gonna lie i i know very little about wrestling even having been here in the states um everything i've learned is from you know been playing with other people at the dojo when they go how would you deal with this you know kind of mm. thing you know once i get past your kick if i grabbed your legs and brought you down what would you do mm. that's a good question i gotta think <laughs> about that <laughs> It was one of my scariest fights to what sparrings when I entered the the wrestling gym and uh, and they grabbed me. It was the first and the high throw flying through the over the people. It just uh, mm -hmm. very um, sobering, Isn't especially it? for for a young person going there. Yeah, I'm good with karate. I can show them stuff and then go up. up And then you know everybody takes you in karate, or you can do breakfalls. But no, when you're dropping down from nearly two meters high, you don't. And somebody lands on you, like 80 kilo guy lands on you, you it takes your breath away. <laughs> Absolutely, or or to learn how to sprawl, mm. just to defend against the takedown. That's not something that's intuitive to anybody. Nobody sits there and, as a young child, practices how to sprawl, you know, kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. Um, and that was something I noticed at this tournament too. Was actually how little break falling was happening in the lower ranks mm. kind of thing. You know, they, they were so focused on not being the one to get taken down that they really weren't break falling. And I saw a couple of times where, you know, somebody's hand hit the mat and you're just going, yeah, I hope they didn't break their elbow right there, you know, kind of thing. It was, um, it was definitely an eye opener there that, okay, need to need to practice break falling a lot more just, just so that, you know, when somebody pulls you down, It's a, it's a bit, you're not getting hurt on the way down. Yeah. Um, it is, it is. The, the, I had an extended conversation with uh, somebody about that because after so many years being thrown, when I land, I'm actually not sticking to the rules we teach to the younger children or people. You know, don't stick your arms. If you look for kind of high-level um, wrestlers, when they're landing, They're using their arms to support themselves. But mm -hmm. the difference is that nobody's locking their joints. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of you landing on the arm. Sorry, it's not going to be on a podcast, but I'm demonstrating now with my arm. <laughs> so when you're landing on your arm, you automatically bend in it. So it kind of goes like a spring, taking the amount of heat down. And somebody was saying, oh, no, you're landing completely wrong because you're landing on your elbows. Yes, I do but it's kind of softening elbows. I'm not hitting it against the floor. I'm kind of, I don't know how to say it. I just kind of roll off it. So it, it looks bad, but it does the job. And I think that's what differentiates wrestling from a Aikido guys mm -hmm. when they do the flawless breakfalls. 
and in the wrestling you just kind of walk on the floor but there is you know really any huge injuries um because they're used to it you get used to it so you find your own ways uh with my autistic student oh wonderful see how how he's viewing the world through his lens and what karate is for him so you I know that, that's gonna be interesting that is something else that uh uh you may want to add in so you know like in our in our group we do have a special needs division oh go on tell me tell me and so so in our group we have a special needs division and that's exactly it it's it's you know we don't necessarily want to have somebody with special needs fighting with you know another another advanced belt kind of thing um so so these special needs kids they're amazing you know they'll sit there and part of how we run our organization is everybody sits and watches the black belts do kata and special needs do kata uh weapons and empty hand and so you know the round of applause that these kids get is just amazing and all of a sudden to go okay you know these people appreciated what i just did and to be honest, there are times these kids blow me away. Uh, there was one student uh, a couple years ago. He did uh, Hian Nidan. And he did it with his eyes closed. And he landed exactly in the same spot he started in. And I don't know mm-hmm. that anyone else noticed it. And I was just like, you, you have to be consistent in all your stances to be able to do that. And it was, mm-hmm. it was amazing. Um, and then sometimes, you know, these these kids fight because they may be the only person in their school that has special needs. So all of a sudden I get to compete now with somebody else who's just like me Mm. kind of thing. And it's, it really is one of the, one of the best parts about it is watching these kids compete um, when they do well and they get their trophy, how much they just light up because it might've been the only trophy they've ever gotten in their lives. Um, And the support they get, not just from, the other students and their parents, but all of a sudden, you know, these, these other instructors from other schools, you know, these people that they may look up to because they're high ranking, you know, in their art going, Hey man, that was, that was great. Good job. Keep it up. You know, just, Mm. you just see their, their attitudes just go through the roof and it really is one of the most inspiring things, you know, you, you can ever see. Uh, It it really is amazing. Funny story. One day, Uh, my son, generally got picked sometimes for an exhibition match because they knew uh, my son could really, uh, could really control himself, could, could just tap you, you know, whatever with, with a roundhouse kick, not hurt you in any way, shape or form. If, uh, if he wanted to, he would, but you know, he just, he really worked on his control. So quite often it would be, Hey, Sebastian, come here. We need you to do an exhibition match with, you know, with this young man. He's the only person here in special needs today. Could, could you fight with him? Absolutely. Absolutely. I could. And uh, because they knew he would just control himself. And at no point is his MO to embarrass anybody. It's, you know, my job is to make you look as good as possible, like uh, uh, not be your punching bag. But, you know, I'm going to give you some resistance and, you know, but we're going to make you work for it. Give them a fair fight. Absolutely. And so uh, so one day, uh, you know, he was doing this and. Uh, one of our other one of our other black belts walked by, not realizing what was going on, and she started. You know, she was kind of coaching. Bastion, hit him in the face. Hit him. You know, punch him. His head's wide open. His head's wide open. Mm-hmm. And you hear on the video, um, it's a, it's an exhibition match. He's a you know, it's a special needs student. Oh, good job, Sebastian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but those are some of my favorite fights to watch because. Yes, you, you see, you see, uh, you know, in, in that kind of case, I almost considered my son his uki. You, you got mm-hmm. a good uki that helps you bring out the best in that other individual. And yeah. all of a sudden, they get to see what they really can do and against somebody new, not somebody else from their school. And uh, it, it's just inspiring. Yeah, for, for me, this is the, the most enjoyable part of my work at the moment. Uh, so working with, disa- I hate disabled, uh, less able mm-hmm. uh, or, or different abilities. Um, and yeah, like you said, you know, we, we had the girl, uh, she's deaf and have a huge anxiety. So she wouldn't, didn't want to go for a competition. So I said, let, let me go with you and we do it together. 
So she started off, it was a, a kind of a disability competition. So there was allowance for me to step in and guide her. Mm-hmm. So because she froze, she was doing pin on first or second, it depends what you're looking at it. Uh, but uh, yeah, she froze. So, you know, I step in with her and we done it, kick-started back her again, half of a kata, and then she done it. But fast forward four years, so two years ago, um, she went to fully able competition, and I think she took a silver and a gold in doing competition, uh, the kata against the fully able people. Nice. And, you know, her confidence grown, and you can see that students really evolving. And if you give them attention and a bit of a time and commitment they need, they are over-exceeding your expectation. It's like the guy who has gone and talked with him, I have mm-hmm. him on my podcast, Danny. He is the most hardworking person in our dojo. You know, mm-hmm. whatever you tell him, he just does it, and he does it at home. And now he, you know, he, he wouldn't stay alone with us. He had to have a mom, his brother, together in a class. Now he's going with us on, the, you know, seminars and stuff on his own. And he's happy, you know, he changed his mentality from I can't do it to I'm going to give, I'm going to take this challenge and I do my best. Absolutely. And I'm hope soon he's going to be my first um, autistic black belt in oh, a couple amazing. of years. We, we yeah. had a student similar. Uh, Kyle came in. It took a year to convince him to get on the mat. Mm. And Kyle, big young man, he was in his mid-20s. Um, on the spectrum and he uh big guy probably about six five six six every bit of 260 pounds no problem and then initially it was he would never fight anybody because he didn't want to hurt anybody he was just afraid of hurting anybody so then he would start to spar but he would only spar with me or sebastian my son mm-hmm. uh uh Fast forward about two years, his, his family had to move away to Louisiana. And, uh, but when he left, he had gotten so skilled and controlled that he would fight. He would stand in front of anybody, you know, mm. um, he'd have six-year-olds standing across from him that were a whopping three feet tall, you know, and 80 pounds soaking wet maybe. And, uh, and they would play, they would mm. just play and he wouldn't be their punching bag. He wouldn't just give him any points, but it was great to see that that transition from day one when he was just afraid to hurt anybody to, okay, here's where we are. We can play. Uh, nobody gets hurt. I didn't hurt anybody and just, you know, really work my technique kind of thing. And it was, it, it really was a lot of fun to work with Kyle. Um, and we've had quite a few, yeah, autistic children that have cut through over the years. And, but Kyle will always, will always stick out in my head as just, you know, he'll be the benchmark for, okay, how, how do I bring out the best in people from, mm. from now on? How do I have another Kyle kind Excellent. of thing? Mm-hmm. It's really good. Mm-hmm. What do you think we should call this uh, episode? Competing with uh, Christian? As we talk yeah. so much about the competition. That would be, that would be fine. Yeah. Competition with Christian. Sure. Why not? That sounds great. I'm actually, cool. it's been a while since I've competed in Kumite. Mm. And uh, I think I've kind of set this up as a goal for myself that I really want to start competing in Kumite again. Cool. The hard part for us is just at our tournaments, you do kata. Then you spend all day judging everybody else. Then the black belts compete in kata. All and you're, right. just, you're just exhausted by the time it's time for you to compete. The only saving grace is hopefully all of the other black belts are exhausted too. <laughs> <laughs> what, it, what is so interesting in martial arts that it keeps you returning? What captivates your, your kind of interest in it? I, I think that it's one of the big things for me is that it's uh, impossible to know everything. It's impossible to perfect any technique. It's impossible to just know everything that's going on. Um, uh, I, I mean, I've been really focusing on, on the pin on katas the last handful of years, just, you know, trying to apply all these different things that I see when I, when I watch the practical community. And what if, you know, you look at what this person does, what this person does, and what that person does, and then, okay, let's, 
how do, how do these principles all interrelate? And then whatever clicks in your own mind is kind of how it goes. And then lately, of course, you know, you think you get it. And then you meet somebody, you know, like Christian Vertivard and, you know, done his, his Bunkai, his uh, Penan, Heon hmm. Bunkai Phenomenon book and a couple of his workouts uh, in relation to that. And you're just like, it's a completely different way to look at it. And I love it. You know, it's okay. How, do, how can I incorporate this into class? You know, kind of thing. Uh, uh, that that's part of what I love. It's just, that there's always something else to learn and it doesn't mm. matter what it, you could spend your entire life on the stand up game alone mm. dealing with just a guy who grabs you by the lapel <laughs> and the 8,000 ways that I can deal with that, with that action alone is just, it's just mind boggling to me. I mean, that it, really is the best part. That, that's what I love too, as well about the, the practical side of the community that everybody's constantly sharing, developing something new and nobody's really telling you, no, nah, that's not, that's not, not correct. Which I'm finding more with the traditional side is like, you know, no, that's not what the sensei said. You should have been doing like that. You know, 200 years ago, nobody was doing like that. Yeah. But, we are 200 years from it and lots of things changed and most of the people are more fit than they've been before and everybody done something, you know, even watching MMA gives you some idea how to fight. So mm -hmm. they're going to be trying to do something, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's so fun. You know, it's, it's kind of like, I love, uh, you know, Abernathy had one one time where he's like, you know, he's, he's when he's talking about uh, one of his one of the katas, I don't remember which one it's, you know, he's going down, he just gets to choose how, you know, and he makes a crack about you fell down too early, mate, I still haven't done the tourney bit, you know, kind mm -hmm. of thing with regard to the kata. And I kind of feel like that's the same way, you know, when you're talking about um, dealing with a grab, no one's going to go, no, that's not the way you should have dealt with my grab, you should have done this instead. Mm. you know, kind of thing. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it either worked or it didn't, you know, it might be, and it's probably going to be sloppy. Let's be honest. If it's, yeah. if it's a real self-defense type scenario. That would be nice if the attacker grabbed you and said, you know, now you have to defend like this, you know, yeah. that's, the man, that's the manual for it. You cannot do it other way. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Could, not... yeah, <laughs> could you grab my other wrist, please? Don't grab my right one. Could you grab my left one, please? <laughs> yeah. I won't let you go if you don't do it correctly. <laughs> uh we we were doing that the other day in class uh we were just okay how to uh how to deal with somebody grabbing your wrist just mm -hmm. just for fun uh you know all of a sudden you say okay we're gonna do a little simple self-defense kind of thing and so of course everyone was compliant you know mm -hmm. you're gonna let them grab your wrist and then the other person is going to let them defend you got to understand how it works before you can argue against it and and then at the end of the class i kind of grabbed one of the more senior students and I said, okay, now let's practice this for real. AJ, I'm going to, I'm going to resist. Okay. I'm going to grab your wrist and I need you to make me let go. Ready? Go. And all I did was yank on his arm and spin around in a circle. And he, you know, mm -hmm. what do I do? What do I do? And uh, it was just one of those things like, okay, no, we've only covered the first part. We've only done compliant. Now we got to move on to the next part you know just just to get people kind of thinking a little bit because all of a sudden it was like yeah kid's not going to sit there and just let me grab his wrist you know or reverse it kind of thing mm. um and that's one of the things i love about the tournaments oh full circle mm. uh is pressure testing i could sit here and practice a back fist a reverse punch a roundhouse kick side kick whatever all day long on on the dummy bob or a heavy bag or a compliant partner or whatever. But you got to figure out how to make it work. You got to figure out timing. You got to figure out distance, spacing, angles. And the only way to really pressure test on all that stuff is at a tournament. Yeah, Grappling's the same way. I totally agree. Uh, I think that's the safest and the closest we can get to our actual uh, conflict uh, with the stress, although John Teachin got these sim days, which are great as well, um, with all the gear on and then pressure testing with the angry, angry people attacking you. Uh, that's kind of different, different story. But you know, in a, mm -hmm. in a, 
competition setting, you've got genuine people try to knock you out or do a harm within the rules to you. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a bit different feel, uh, at least for me. Um, yeah. Uh, two questions. Favorite movie, martial arts related? Ooh, favorite martial arts movie. Uh, you know, I've always, I've always loved watching Donnie Yen. So I ain't gonna lie. Ip Man is one of my favorites. And part of, part of the, one of the reasons that I really like it, um, is in the beginning, he's, you know, he's sparring with somebody else who's, who's come to town to challenge him. And, uh, he's controlling everything. You know, you could see he could have punched him in the ribs a handful of times or the nose or whatever. And the guy's like, what? That's not, you know, you didn't win. You didn't hit me. But he didn't acknowledge the fact that he could have. All you have to do is twist a little bit more, whatever. And then sure enough, you see that later on in the film. And I I realize it's, you know, film, but um, that, yeah, it's just that that duality. Yeah. It's a great concept. Um, Absolutely. And then, of course, you know, uh, it, I love watching the Karate Kid. I ain't gonna lie, uh, oh, but the funny, the the funny, <laughs> the funny thing is, is so here's something that I always do with my students. Uh, whenever they videotape their their fights or whatever, I said, okay, now I want you to watch it from the other guy's perspective. I want to watch. I want. I don't want you to watch it from your perspective. Why didn't they count that point? Why didn't Why didn't they see this? Why didn't they see that 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 I performed? I want you to watch it from your competitor's point of view. What was open? Why didn't he get that point? Why didn't he get that, you know, uh, kind of thing? And all of a sudden, when they do that, to see how their sparring elevates, um, I, how they get better. I can see that you have a very traditional dojo, as you just said, the recording on tapes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very traditional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very traditional. It, it's hilarious. I, I keep saying when you record, when you video it, you know, it's, it, oh yeah. It, no phones, phones everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the sec, second thing, the, 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 your favorite book, martial art book. Ooh, my favorite martial art book. I, I've got don't have, so many. Don't have, don't, don't have to be anxious black belt. It, that was a great <laughs> book. I ain't gonna lie. Um, and the part, and the parts that I loved about your book was just uh, um, how relatable every, almost every chapter I could relate exactly to it. Uh, it may not have been quite the same scenario, mm-hmm. but um, you know, dealing with fear, overcoming, you know, whatever obstacles you were talking about in that particular chapter, uh, I just kind of went. It, you may as well have been writing about me. It, mm-hmm. It's kind of like. Uh, Watching Ken uh, Ken Knight from Ken Food TV, yeah. I kid you not. Every time he puts out a video, that's exactly what I was going through just the week before, and I swear he lives in my head. Um, I ha- I hate him. I hate him because he is he's got that ability to speak clearly about the subject which I would love to talk, but my little brain does not want to cooperate, and I hate him for that. In a positive way, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're, you're a bit uh, jealous. You're a bit yes, jealous. I'm, I, I'm not a bit, a lot. Plus, he's <laughs> lighting and stuff. It <laughs> drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite books? You know what? I'm going to go with... There's so many great choices out there. Um, wow, that's a tough one. You know, you know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this one. I'm going to say anything by Kane and Wilder. Mm-hmm. Um. I've been currently reading shit Sun Tzu says, you know, (laughs) that one is, it's definitely not a sit down and read on a Sunday afternoon. It's more of a, okay, it's the end of the day. I'm going to read, you know, one or two pages. Um, Not to mention just uh, um, their books on violence, the big bloody book of violence and the little black book of violence. Those two were just kind of eye opening because we all, we all think we know what violence is. And we do. It's just we only know this tiny little portion. Mm. We don't because this is all I've had to deal with in my life. We haven't thought about all of all of the other things that people see. Uh, you know, just just even simple things like, let's be honest, I'm a man. How much about women's self-defense can I truly understand? Never having been in the scenarios 
that, that these women have been in, in different, you know, whether it's, um, you know, somebody being a jerk at the bar or walking down a dark, uh, a dark street or, you know, spousal abuse and things of that nature, mm. you know, just, uh, it really opened my eyes to all the different types of violence that were out there all the way up through war and, um, you know, just fighting in your community, be it gang violence or, or, or whatever, or just some drunk guy at the stadium. Mm. Kind of it was it was a, a great pleasure to um, have Chris contributing to to my ten rules on on, on karate success. Uh, yeah, he's a great guy. I met him. I trained with him, and he's one of the most clear teachers when they're teaching. I, I try to copy some of his teaching style because it's just simply brilliant. Yeah. Keep it, keep it simple. Let's be honest. Advanced techniques are just a string of fundamentals, one right after mm. the other. If you can't get the fundamental right, why, why are you even trying to do a, a spinning, jumping hook kick? You know, you, yeah, you couldn't even true. throw a front snap kick if you wanted to. Um, <laughs> give us a on the on the very finishing. Uh, can you plug your club? Sure. Absolutely. Depends, whatever you want to promote. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't do a lot online. I'm a stagehand for a reason. I stay behind, behind the scenes. I'm not a in front of the camera kind of guy. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really do a whole lot online. I, I just try to listen and learn and pick tidbits up. And if there's a nugget of wisdom I can help share, then great. But uh, there's not a whole lot that I do online, so there's really not much of me to plug, but you know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Just do a search for my name, Christian O'Brien. I think on Instagram it's backwards because somebody else had that. So I think it's O'Brien Christian. Um, and, uh, shows you how much I'm on it because I don't even know what my own username is. Uh, and then, and the, the club we have here in town, it's called Foreman's Karate and Fitness. Uh, is is here in we're in Muncie, Indiana, and then the organization that that we that Mr. Foreman has started is called the Tournament Karate Association. So uh, it's predominantly here in Indiana, but it is starting to grow in Pennsylvania. And hopefully, when everything kind of returns back to normal, we'll we'll do it in Ohio as well. Um, and it it really is kind of more like what the older uh, uh, karate was like in. In the United States, we're talking uh, uh, the USKA and the triage, uh, Master Triage, uh, what he used to do when he first started um, tournaments way back in the 60s and 70s kind of thing. So it's, it's not this Olympic stuff. It's, it's, uh, I, it's, it's fun. I mean, that's, let's be honest. How often do you get to go and punch somebody in the face and afterwards smile and go, thank you. Thank you for hitting me in the face. That was great. I can't wait to fight you again, you know, kind of thing. You know, it's awesome. So that's, that's the groups that I'm involved in. Cool. Thank you for your time. It was a pleasure talking to you. Oh, it was amazing. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs>